every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Wednesday, the 2nd of August. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Just search for Peter Lewis's Money Talk. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Substack, and Threads. Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page there. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, factories in Asia reported sluggish demand in July as new domestic and global orders slumped at the start of the third quarter. Six out of the nine private surveys released Tuesday showed that manufacturing activity in Asia's major producers again contracted in July. Readings for China, Japan, South Korea, Malaysia, Taiwan and Vietnam all signalled a contraction in manufacturing activity. Only those for India, Indonesia and the Philippines pointed to expansion. China's factory activity fell into contraction in July, a private sector survey showed on Tuesday, as firms blame sluggish market conditions at home and abroad. The Kaishin China General Manufacturing PMI fell to 49.2 in July from 50.5 in June, missing market estimates of 50.3 and hitting its lowest reading in six months. And two separate surveys released Tuesday confirmed a recession in the US manufacturing sector. The ISM manufacturing PMI edged higher to 46.4 in July from a nearly three-year low of 46 in June, but the reading pointed to a ninth straight month of contraction in factory activity as demand remained weak and production slowed due to a lack of work. And US job openings dropped to a more than two-year low, suggesting that the labour market may be cooling. The job quits rates also declined, indicating fewer attractive options in the labour market. The Reserve Bank of Australia left interest rates on hold at an 11-year high of 4.1% for a second straight month on Tuesday after inflation slowed more than expected in the second quarter. Markets had been anticipating an increase of 25 basis points. On today's programme, I'm joined by Enzio von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and Christopher Lee, partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. And later in the show, I'll chat with Dickie Wong, Head of Research at Kingston Securities. On Wall Street Tuesday, U.S. stocks retreated after economic data in the U.S. signaled that high interest rates were weighing on the economy. The ISM manufacturing PMI pointed to a ninth straight month of contraction in the factory sector, while job openings fell to a more than two-year low. On the first trading day of August, the S&P 500 lost a third of a percent to finish at 4,577. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 0.4% to end at 14,284. The Dow added 71 points, or 0.2%, to settle at 35,631. Earlier in the session, the Dow touched its highest level since February 2022. Treasury yields surged higher despite the dismal US economic data. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note rose 9 basis points to 4.05%, its highest level since July the 10th. The yield on the two-year note rose three basis points to 4.91%, and the 30-year yield hit the highest level of 2023 so far, rising nine basis points to 4.1%. 
The surge in yields sent the US dollar higher. The US dollar index appreciated 0.4%, regaining the 102 level at 102.25 on the first day of August, trading at the best levels in nearly a month, and the dollar has climbed 2.3% since bottoming in mid-July. The weakness in the Japanese yen continued after the Bank of Japan tweaked its yield curve control policy last week, with a surge in Treasury yields also weighing on the Japanese currency. The US dollar ended 0.7% higher at 143.34 Japanese yen. The offshore yuan depreciated 0.6%, past 7.18 per dollar, retreating further from over one-month highs as a private survey showed the Chinese manufacturing activity unexpectedly contracted in July. The yuan currently sits at 7.1865 renminbi. Hong Kong shares snapped a three-day winning streak. The Hang Seng gave up gains of 1.2% at the high of the day to close 68 points lower. That's a third of a percent at 20,011. The tech index fell a third of a percent, and shares on the mainland fluctuated around the flat line, struggling to gain traction. The Shanghai Composite was unchanged at 3,291. Futures markets are pointing to a decline of 180 points for the Hang Seng at the open. That's about 0.9%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our regular Wednesday morning correspondent, Enzio von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And also joining us, Christopher Lee, Senior Partner at Farron Augustine and Alexandra Investments. Welcome back, Chris. Good morning, Peter, and good morning, Enzio. Morning, Chris. Uh, we've got a bit more data now to piece in what's going on in China's economy. China factory activity fell in contraction in July. That's the private sector survey showing that. Firms blame sluggish market conditions at home and abroad. The Kaishin General Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index fell to 49.2 in July from 50.5 in June. That missed market estimates and hit the lowest reading in six months. And just a reminder that a reading below 50 means the majority of respondents reported a contraction in inactivity since the previous survey. Um, NGO, we've had a fair bit of data. We had the official data uh, mm. the previous day from the National Bureau of Statistics, which also showed uh, the uh, the state-owned enterprises also in contraction. We also had services growth at a seven-month low. Things are not looking great, are they, for the mainland economy? It's probably fair to say. No, I'll have to deviate from my cyclical economic clock, Peter, just to get back to the po- to the politics and the political philosophy of what's going on, because this is a structural slowdown in China that's happening in my mind. Less, and there's also some cyclical stuff, but very much a structural one, which Beijing has to decide whether it wants common prosperity or what I call throttled capitalism. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they say they want common prosperity. They but want that... common prosperity, mm-hmm. but if they want it, then they can't throttle capitalism because it's the capitalists, it's the private sector that creates 90% of the jobs and 80% mm. of the investments, roughly. Mm. So it's understandable when she came in that he was um, cracking down on the um, private sector because there were a lot of sort of egregious things going on that, that threatened his position of power, which I get. Mm. But maybe he's overshot the mark. And so 
I think now what's happening is that the place that the that the private sector has become a bit of a what I call a whipping pawn. In other words, we will do with you and tell you what we want. It's the dirigiste economy, exactly what we're also getting here in Hong Kong now, and that's not good because the, as, again, as a Van Hayek student, you can't mm. tell the market what it wants. Mm. But but the Beijing does say President Xi is saying mm. it uh, that they do want private enterprises to thrive and that. You know, the crackdown that we've seen on the tech sector mm. and so on is is over. Do you believe it? I believe it, yes. I believe it at face value. But it's, again, we need as long as we need you, we will allow you to, to prosper. But once we don't need you again, we will disallow you to prosper. And that's my concern, that it's this. And that breeds uncertainty amongst the private sector, so it will not invest because it's just worried about what's going to happen to its, to its money. And, that's, and if it can't invest, it can't create jobs. Do you agree, Chris? Do you think that, I mean, yeah. I think what NGO mm-hmm. is saying is that the mainland is basically losing or has lost its entrepreneurial spirits, the ability for companies, particularly private companies, to uh, sort of, you know, be entrepreneurial and come up with new ideas and new yeah. products. I like to pick up that uh, common prosperity point that you mentioned. So mm. uh, the I think uh, good news would be the 31-point uh, action okay. plan that you've, uh, I think, uh, heard, yeah. and also uh, the increase in domestic consumption, yes. right? and also the stabilizing of the uh, um, real estate prices, yes. because these are actions mm. that would help the uh, not-so-rich people to get a little bit richer so that they can benefit from your services oh, of, uh, like, you know, capital preservation, right? So yes. there has been a lot of uh, wealth um, widening, I think, um, you know, activities in the past. But I think uh, what we are seeing now is uh, they're trying to equalize that a little bit more to okay. have the uh, the not-so-rich people to have opportunities to get a little bit richer. Of course, they are, I think, uh, controlling the uh, the top end of the curve to restrict the very rich people to get even richer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but isn't the problem, you know, if you want to have common prosperity, that's all well and good. But actually, at the end of the day, in any economy, the way in which you get common mm. prosperity or more prosperity is by creating more jobs and creating better paid jobs. That's what creates the prosperity in the economy. And the problem for China... Mm-hmm. is that it's losing jobs, and particularly uh, among the young people. Yes. I mean, youth unemployment now is, what, one in five people are unemployed. That's, there's not going to be common prosperity for those people, is there? There is, um, I think, a number of uh, new opportunities for uh, for mm. young people. So I was just uh, speaking to uh, NCO earlier that my twenty-year-old yeah. son is uh, really into uh, social media and listening to all the KOLs and key opinion leaders. So while there's a sharp decline in traditional jobs, yes, there are, I think, jobs that are being created that we don't know of. The gig it's economy is also the gig big. economy, yeah. and also mm-hmm. just people are having uh, multiple part-time jobs yes. nowadays instead of having just like one career like me i work for a bank for many many years and yep, there are now people working for a number of companies just part-time and they probably add up to be about 50 hours of work every week mm-hmm. so are, are those yeah, numbers not really capturing those people maybe they're missing uh, those people but also on the contrary to that i've heard other people say that mm-hmm. the real unemployment rates for youth youth in china is maybe closer to 50 percent so yes. what, what what do we believe what what do we think is really happening 
I'll, I'll let you comment on this one first. Alex. Well, yeah. I think mm -hmm. that I, we've I've spoken with a number of employers here who were seeking to hire mainland kids, basically college kids, and 12 million or, or 11 point something million are produced a year mm -hmm. in graduates. So that's a bit, I mean, twice, very much, one and a half size of the times of Hong Kong's population. We just have to remember that. Mm -hmm. Now, um, a lot of these kids, as Chris was saying, they want their gig economy, in my diction, their gig economy jobs, which I get. A lot of others, though, have extravagant expectations, what we were discussing at the 7-Eleven before when we were briefing ourselves, which is that um, they want the high lifestyle, but they don't really want to put in the, the elbow grease to get there. So, of course, then the parents have to come to the rescue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a, a, a global phenomenon that we can talk about later in the context of oil and water. Yeah, it is uh, true, not just in China, in Hong Kong, and uh, I think in Europe, and also in the US as well. Very much. Mm -hmm. So coming back to this point about the, the dirigiste economy, yes. as, as you call it, Enzio, yes. I mean, if I look at these government announcements, these 31-point mm. plans, the 10-point plans, I think there's over 100 points. <laughs> I've yes. lost count of how <laughs> many point plans of. there are, just multi-point plans. I mean, some of the things they're talking about, for example, to help boost consumption, they say they're going to remove car purchase limits, hold promotional events like food festivals. Mm. Isn't this coming back to your point, Enzio, that really the government is trying to tell you what it is you ought to be buying and, you know, and trying to promote certain sectors rather than letting companies and the economy find out for itself? Yeah, that's what I was alluding to with oil and water. These the government officials anywhere in the world are by definition very conservative, a very conservative lot. They go there because they want their pension at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So they're not they're hardly going to come up with anything earth shaking when it comes to ideas that are very much in the box, not out of the box, in mm -hmm. the box, in the bureaucratic maze, which is where they live. They have nothing oil and water. They have nothing to do with the common hoi ploi like the three of us who actually have real needs. They will only talk amongst themselves. And for instance, we have in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. Happy Hong Kong, mm -hmm. again, conjured up by some person sitting in a in a box in a, in a bureaucracy. And that's the concern that they're trying to tell, mm -hmm. they're trying to to be to guide demand where they think it should go where they've never been in business yeah i think just in defense mm -hmm. of how that is actually better than just giving out the uh, cash vouchers okay. or maybe you yeah. know just uh, giving people um you know freedom in terms of how they spend the one thousand dollars i think the guided um, approach here is the government wants you to buy new cars they they want you to buy electric cars mm -hmm. and they want you to uh buy home appliances these mm -hmm. are things that will stimulate the economy Unlike what happened in the U.S. that you saw uh, some of the uh, stimulus money was actually going into Robinhood accounts and then started trading some uh, yes. stock shares. And that actually did not generate real economic yes. activities. So again, we go back to this um, new China model, which is not 100% capitalistic, mm. but not 100% uh, communist style either. It is a guided uh, capitalistic system whereby the government is trying to tell people that you should buy electric cars. Remember the Chinese uh, capitalism with Chinese characteristics when you were at Merrill Lynch and I, I was at Smith Newport. <laughs> That's that right. one's coming back, yeah. <laughs> and that was 
from 20 plus years ago yes. and is coming yeah. back and is uh, with a vengeance uh, yes absolutely well, well, well in a life yeah <laughs> isn't the problem though with the with some of these uh, measures that the national Deform and, uh, development and reform commission have announced uh, and the commerce ministry yes mm-hmm. <laughs> i have to scrub that bit um they deal with the supply side yes trying to make more things more goods more services available yes. but isn't the problem it's not the supply side it's the demand yeah, that's yeah, the problem yeah. isn't it people yeah. have lost their confidence in the economy they're worried about losing yeah. their jobs so as a result they're pulling in the horns they don't want to spend as much as they were mm-hmm. isn't that the problem and these these reforms don't really address that, do they? They don't really deal with this confidence issue and, and push the, the consumer to feeling more confident to go out and spend. Well, I, I have to agree with you. Um, I liked your Freudian slip there, but maybe mm-hmm. you want to remove it. Um, that uh, it, it is... It's, it's only looking at one side of the equation. It's a little bit like the Fed from the other side looking only at the demand side of the equation, not mm-hmm. at supply-side inflation. We need to swap these two central banks <laughs> around, don't we? Put the Fed in yes. China and put the, uh, the PBOC in the US. Yes, exactly. And, that, um, but, and as long as that, that dirigisme stays, I think China could well become a, a, a type of Japan. In other words, not stagflation, but deflation and just gets stuck in a rut really going nowhere until the private sector is allowed to go back at what it's really good at, which is, as you say, creating jobs and thus investing. The, the problem is, though, of course, that now we're seeing, we knew that manufacturing was in uh, recession. Mm. Uh, but we've seen the private sector now also fall into contraction. And what's worse, the services sector is slowing quite rapidly as well. So all the signs are pointing to um, the, the motors of the economy sort of falling away quite rapidly. And more in a, in a structural fashion than just a pure cyclical. But let's get Chris's thoughts. I've, I've been talking far too much. Well, it is, um, I think, trending down, both uh, consumer spending and also the manufacturing um, mm. sectors. And we also talked about another piece that is trending down is the real estate sector, yes. right? Yeah, you, now, you should talk about that. Yeah, and yeah. then I was uh, trying to inject a little bit of an optimism here that why, you know, falling real estate good. prices could actually be good for the long term, because what we're seeing here is uh, affordability. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's become more affordable for the uh, young people and those uh, 25-year-old yes. and 35-year-old who are working hard and trying to uh, become more uh, prosper, you know, under the common prosperity would have the opportunity to build their wealth going forward. So this is one element, I think, of uh, you know, optimism that fair, I see good yeah, point. Yeah, in yeah. the marketplace. Well, we did have some data on the, uh, the Chinese property mm-hmm. market yesterday. Sales of new homes in China slumped by the biggest monthly decline in a year. That's according to private sector data compiled from the country's top 100 developers. Sales mm-hmm. declined 33% in value mm-hmm. compared with a year earlier, um, according to data from the China Real Estate Information Company. And that July slump followed a 43% contraction in <coughs> June. It's, uh, the, the property sector is still a big problem, isn't it? It is, and uh, it is a big problem for, I think, a lot of our clients who already own uh, assets. But I think it is actually quite good for the young people that they can actually now have an opportunity to enter the market. If prices kept going up, then I would see, 
you know, my 20-year-old son having a very hard time、mm-hmm. trying to become a homeowner here、and、in Hong Kong. And they just give up hope. And they would give up hope. And、uh, so when there's no hope, then there's no job. Yeah.、Mm. So that's going to be in the case in the mid-tier cities because the big four cities prices、mm-hmm. aren't really coming down, are、yes. they? So, but in the mid-tier yeah, yeah. cities, the hope is that,、um, well, they they don't want to see the prices come down much more. They want to actually stabilise things. But how how do you fix? The property sector, when you've got like、mm-hmm. China's biggest、uh, company, Country Garden, suddenly cancelling、mm-hmm. its、uh, its、uh, share sale, you know these big developers are struggling to make money, are, are struggling to raise money. So the the funding model for them is broken, isn't it? How do we fix it? Well, I think、uh, we do have the、uh, the second tier cities that are developing. So not far from Shenzhen, there are Greater Bay Area places like、uh, Zhongshan and all these places that are actually developing. And even though the prices have come down, but there's still the、uh, the medium term potential. So、uh, I remain、uh, quite positive. I think over the medium term. So NGO, this is a structural problem, as you as you've yes, been saying yes, this believe, morning.、Yes. How do we fix it? How do we get the economy back on its feet? Because I would have thought the first thing is absolutely key to stop the economy slipping into deflation, isn't it? So we don't go down the Japan route. Yes. Well, it's it's again very much that the government really makes very very clear that it is that it wants the private sector to take over the business of of. Of investment and job creation, and just that—that's as, as a flat command that then permeates down to the local level of the local bureaucrats who also have their own games to play, as in any country, not just China. So I think that's the the key. So it has little to do with stimuli like like the ones that we were traditionally、mm. taught、um, by your Janet Yellen, my Juan Hayek、um, about fiscal and monetary、mm. policy. That's not really. That's kind of like a drop on a hot stone. It's very much just saying. This is we want to go down. We want this capitalism with Chinese characteristics. That's fine. Go more back, swing back more to Deng than what we're currently doing now. Well, I, I think the trend is also I think、uh, from the U.S. side, seeing that there is more and more、uh, discussions and engagement. I mean, since about a month and a half ago,、uh, Blinken went to China,、yes. Yellen went to China, and then、uh, Kerry went, and now the、uh, the Secretary、Kissinger. of Commerce yeah, is、Kissinger, also yeah, yeah. yeah, and then Kissinger, yeah, yeah, yeah. unofficial visit, yeah, absolutely, unofficial, absolutely, yeah. So five、uh, very major people are visiting. So、uh, this is actually. Now a good time to talk to China. Yes.、Mm-hmm. Well, we've got、uh, also the U.S. Commerce Secretary, the Trade Secretary、mm-hmm. Gina Raimondo, apparently going、Gina、to、Raimondo. China as well.、Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we shouldn't forget that yesterday, but amongst all this economic data,、mm-hmm. I think it might have got slightly missed. Chinese export controls on key、mm-hmm. chip-making materials came into effect、yes. yesterday. This was、Correct. Beijing's response. Yes.、Uh, to Western sanctions、yeah. on the Chinese semiconductor sector, and they've now put restrictions on gallium and germanium, which are the two essential、mm-hmm. elements for manufacturing、uh, semiconductors. China's、mm-hmm. Commerce Ministry says it's to protect national security. It doesn't mean to say that they can't be exported,、mm-hmm. but it does mean now that the exporters. We、we'll、need to fill out a lot more paperwork, provide details on where these metals are、yes. going to,、uh, and for what purposes. What's the impact of this going to be? Well, I th- having been in that trade war pit myself for a few years, <laughs> I think that the this tit for tat is just going to continue. And I, Steve Vickers, a very old time Hong Konger here, a、um, long time Hong Konger, he wrote, put put out, put out a very piece, rec- good piece recently that about decoupling. The process of decoupling is neither straightforward nor, in some cases, even feasible,、mm-hmm. given Chinese components inclusion in other products. 
-hmm. and the PRC's central role in regional trade and investment flows. And then here comes the big one also. Moreover, any shift out of China will likely expose companies to new risks in the countries concerned. In other words, when they go to Thailand, Vietnam, mm -hmm. there are also risks there. Mm -hmm. At least with China, they knew the risks, what the risks are. They knew whom to bribe. Now they have now, now very, they have to reinvent the wheel going to other FDI, foreign direct investment locations. So the decoupling is it's, it's going to be dangerous. I think it's going to make China just much more independent of America, and but it's not it's not the end of the world. It will it will swing back, mm. um, but it's it's not a good development. At the, at it the is end already of it. coming back. Mm. It is already swinging mm. back because even though China is uh, responsible eighty percent of the gallium right exports, oh. um, but you know on 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 a different level, remember that um, Boeing is still a major supplier to uh, many of the Chinese airlines. So I believe uh, one of the main objectives of uh, Secretary of Commerce, uh, Gina Raimondo, is to help deliver those 130 uh, Boeing 737 mm -hmm. that yes. were actually stuck uh, because of the uh, 2019 uh, incident that they have not been delivered to well, China yet. And mm -hmm. there's a big problem that the U.S. business community mm -hmm. isn't really playing first fiddle in the trade war. It's very much the political grassroots guys. Mm -hmm. So when one's reading about trade politics, it's it's not good enough just reading about, as, and none of us are doing this, just about government moves. It's also one has to really look, get down to the guts of the McCarthy's and people like that who have a very different agenda. It's called getting votes for their re-elections. Mm. Well, speaking of McCarthy, I mean, he is representing the uh, the Central California district. Yes, right? uh, you would so, know, yes. Yeah, and then uh, you, you know, know and we know very well that uh, agricultural products uh, like the fruits and the chicken feed, all that from uh, California are exporting to China. Yes. Because, you know, Americans See. eat all the chicken and then they export all the chicken feed to, yes. to China. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Her, her visit, Gina Raimondo's visit, is coming at a, going to be at an interesting time, isn't it? Very because interesting time. At the same time, the Biden administration is expected to announce this ban on outbound investments into certain sensitive sectors in China that they say threaten U.S. national security. Mm. So they're focusing on things like semiconductors, mm. quantum computing, artificial intelligence. Obviously, uh, Beijing is angered by that. It sees it as another um, example of the U.S. trying to isolate um, and control China. How do we do? You, do you have much um, hope that any of these issues are going to get resolved as a result of this visit? I think you know, going back to uh, how positive I was about the uh, the meetings, and um, I'll just go back and say a little bit more about uh, Gina Raimondo. So uh, she was the uh, the state treasurer for the state for of Rhode Island. Oh, oh, for Rhode Island. For the state of Rhode Island. And again, I mean, we are probably a little bit biased. She is an asset manager before she oh, was good. the state treasurer and she was a venture capital uh, investor. Oh, so she's quite and experienced. And she started the first uh, venture capital firm in the state of Rhode Island before she was the uh, the treasury and also uh, the, the government official in the state of Rhode Island. So she represents the business sector quite well, to your ah, point now. That's um, a good point, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't yeah. know that, no, I, I have to say, Chris, and I'm surprised to hear mm -hmm. it as well because Gina Raimondo comes across as being one of the most hawkish members mm -hmm. of the Biden administration's cabinet. She's the one who has really been pushing for trade sanctions to remain on Chinese goods because she's saying we need leverage mm -hmm. against the Chinese. So that mm -hmm. doesn't really fit with her previous career as an asset manager and an adventure capitalist. I mean, this is 
you know, just a piece of fact that I mm. wanted yes. to share with the Very audience. Very useful, yes. Yeah, I mean, as a uh, as a venture capital uh, person, you know, as you know, we are in the r- business of taking risks mm. and we're mm. in the business of um, uh, creating wealth, right? So wealth management, I think that uh, you come from until yes. it's definitely more on preserving wealth. Yes, yes. And I do see that uh, Gina could be somebody who is uh, picking the right spots to uh, really, I think, uh, focus on here. Yes. Hopefully, we'll deliver those uh, 130 uh, Boeing 737 MAX yes. to uh, to the uh, Chinese airlines. And that is not a small figure because each one of these uh, airplanes is worth about $120 million. Gosh. Mm. If you can sell 130 of oh. these uh, airplanes, you're talking about $15, $16 billion yes. worth of trades. Yes. She's also responsible for this big plan, isn't it? This $52 billion investment plan to make the U.S. less dependent upon chips from Mm -hmm. Asia, particularly Taiwan, to get Mm -hmm. firms like Foxconn, Taiwan Semiconductor Mm -hmm. Manufacturing to come and set up in the Mm -hmm. U.S. instead, handing out a lot of Mm -hmm. subsidies to do that. Although Mm -hmm. it has run into a few problems, hasn't it? Because Foxconn's delaying its plant in uh, Arizona. Like we were Mm -hmm. saying earlier, it's not so easy just to move these supply chains to another another country, whether it be India or elsewhere or back to the U.S. Foxconn and TSMC all have their problems in the state of Wisconsin and the state Mm. of uh, Arizona. Uh, These are high-tech stuff, as we all know. So very sensitive to your point. She was very hawkish about it. But an airplane is actually old technology. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't think the Americans mind that... uh, they are selling airplanes to Chinese airlines, and I don't think the Americans mind that they're exporting chicken feed, yeah. you know, to China. And I don't think they mind that uh, there will be more agricultural products mm. going into China. So that dependency point that you mentioned, Encio, is very valid. Just like Hong Kong is so dependent on China because eighty percent yes. of our water comes See, from yes, China, good point. and fifty percent yes. of our food yes. still comes from yes. China. So there's no point. There's no way to decouple. No. Yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about Hong Kong then, because we had some data from Hong Kong as well. Economic growth slowed sharply in the second quarter. Mm. The economy expanded 1.5% year on year in the second quarter. That was far lower than market forecasts of 3.6% growth. It was also below the first quarter figure, which was revised upwards to 2.9% uh, growth. Mm. The slowdown in GDP was driven by a smaller increase in household spending. Uh, we did also have yesterday some retail sales figures. They were up 19.6% in June from a year ago. Mm. That's the seventh straight month of growth. What are we to make of the Hong Kong um, economy? Because really for three years now, hasn't it? It's been pretty much in the doldrums, patchy, apart from patchy, yeah. there have been some little areas of growth here and there but then it always seems to slip back again and slow down well i walk on the streets here and i am seeing more and more mingling chinese tourists mm. and so they're checking into the hotels and they're um, shopping in chim sa Chui, right and they're also uh, pulling the suitcases with you know bag full of like gucci bags and stuff like yeah. that so i think there's there's definitely a uh, re- uh, and basically revert revert to the mean type yes. of situation so uh, even though they're not really staying overnight uh, for three or four mm-hmm. nights, but at least the mainland Chinese tourists are coming back in Hong Kong. But the Hong Kong people are going to Shenzhen for the weekend, and they're doing their shopping and they're being there. Tried, and they're being given awards to fly abroad. 
Mm-hmm. which is really sensible that that really boosts local consumption by flying abroad mm-hmm. so what do we do now because consumption vouchers are over it doesn't look like we're going to get another round does it unless the economy really mm-hmm. sinks into recession paul chan seems quite reluctant to do it again because the cost of this on the government finances is is pretty high so now that we can't rely on these sweeteners and uh, mm-hmm. consumption vouchers what do we do to try and stabilize and, and boost the economy to get it growing at a consistent rate rather than at this patchy up and down rate. Well, Hong Kong does have a number of initiatives in encouraging entrepreneurs and also the uh, the biotech sector to have more, mm-hmm. I think, a listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So if you look at the Chapter 18A and the 18C um, uh, reg- regulations, I believe there will be more promising biotech companies mm-hmm. coming to Hong Kong and then using this as a platform to really launch their business. Mm. I think, though, again, more structurally, uh, I'm not. I'm in, I'm in agreement with what Chris is saying, but I would also think that this dirigisme that we're seeing here, with uh, let's have a, again some government official in a little bureaucratic box conjuring up something like Happy Hong Kong, which just, I mean, it just if nothing else looks ridiculous. Um, to the outside world doesn't really make people spend more. It's a little bit like positive thinking. It's terrific that my legs got blown off. <laughs> Let's make the best of it and have a good time. Um, that doesn't work. I think also listeners know about my, because I'm, I'm a von Hayek guy, this whole, this lacking competition here. Why must two supermarket chains have a stranglehold over our consumption here, our, our food consumption. It's, I, I read somewhere in the South China, I believe, that actually when they hand out the vouchers, the first people who raise their food price, their prices are the, are the two food chains here, because mm-hmm. they know that people would use the octopus card mm-hmm. to pay for more, to, so they have to pay more. So that's not kind of cricket. But there are also all sorts of other areas where competition would really help. And then thirdly, this whole disaster with English. I was just at mm. a major bank here. You don't have no, no prizes for guessing which one. And yesterday I, I said, has this money been debited or credited? And they kind of looked at me as if I'd just come in from the moon yeah. <laughs> um, and was about to go on to Mars. Mm. They didn't even know what I was talking I said, did the money go in or go out? They, after a while, they kind of picked up what I was saying. But this is supposed to be an international financial banking center with, with speaking Cantonese. Right. That's, that's an interesting model. Well, I mean, uh, to your point, this is an international financial center. Mm. So I am, um, you know, happy mm. that uh, the Hong Kong model um, is a small open economy. Yes. So this really gives us a unique position, unlike I think the uh, China model, which is a big closed economy. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh. So we have our fully convertible currency. So we have the uh, the English common law jurisdiction here, and that's why I think. Hong Kong Stock Exchange is still able to attract some yes. of the companies to come in this year. Yeah. What about John Lee? He's been visiting, hasn't he, the Middle East. He's now been mm-hmm. in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. He went to Malaysia. He went to Indonesia. He went mm-hmm. to Singapore. Is that the future for Hong Kong? We need to find these new markets, develop new areas of, of growth. Is that going to help us out of uh, the, the sort of the hole that we're in? Well, it depends on what he wants to develop. I, I don't really, having lived in or having had some property in, in KL for a while. We don't mm-hmm. really relish too many boomies coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it would also create a lot of strife, I'm afraid. Um, so I think that, again, it's the, the, the gold is at your own doorstep here in Hong Kong. It's, mm-hmm. it's this unleashing of a 
pretty bright set of people, but getting the education system right, making that supply of education equate to the demand for education. I keep on blabbing about vocational training. I mean, mm. who's going to repair your car, mm. do your electricals, your, your roofs, your, your tire That's the fixing. German model. Yeah. yeah, that's the German model also, which is, mm. and the Swiss, the Austrian, it's worked very, very well. Yeah, I want to answer your question directly, Peter. I mean, I think John Lee is following the money. So in the 90s and also the early 2000s, the U.S. endowments and the pension funds like Yale and all these uh, Ivy League schools were investing directly through the QFII system into China, into mm. Hong Kong, through all the brokerage houses here. Mm, yes. You know, like Smith Newcourt that you work yes, at. Yes, and, yeah. and in the last few years, obviously, there's a lot of uh, political reasons why these U.S. endowments are not increasing their Chinese exposure. And they're actually decreasing, right, their Chinese exposure. But the Middle East, the UAE, and a lot of these sovereign wealth oh. funds are actually stepping up in terms oh, of that's their interesting that's that's a useful that's yeah, right that's very useful. so yeah. it, it is you know seen in the private equity sector mm -hmm. i mean so you look at the big uh, funds here pag yeah. pag is obviously getting a lot of uh, investor interest from the middle east and also from the places that you mentioned uh, peter so i think you know john lee is taking a page out of the private equity playbook from uh, from the mm -hmm. big uh, that's private, good. That's private good. equity like firms that, yeah. And you have to talk to your LPs in the Middle East, in UAE, and New yes. in Dubai. Because your LPs are no longer just coming from EU. Yes. And they're not just or coming the US, from yeah. the US anymore. Yeah. Mm. So it's a smart move yes. then in terms yeah. of, you know, it's developing good. relations with, with those areas. He's uh, following the business people. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. That's the way. How, how do you think, um, do you think confidence can be improved by the fact that the local market, the local stock market seems to have stabilized, doesn't it, in July after a pretty torrid mm. Mm -hmm. first six months um, of the year. Mm -hmm. It's still only up about 1.5% mm -hmm. uh, for the year so far, but it did have... Um a much better month of uh, July. We saw signs that both the mainland and Hong Kong stocks were stabilizing. Is that going to help boost confidence? It's led by the tech sector, right, Peter? Mm -hmm. I yeah. think we look at this yeah, the before. Tech index. And the yeah. tech index uh, moved up, and it, I think, uh, helps the rest back of in the bull market yeah. now. economy. And so uh, it's also, I think, uh, partly linked to the uh, Magnificent Seven development in yes. the U.S. that uh, those seven stocks have done so well that their equivalent in Hong Kong and China region have also been uh, improving. Yes. And so <coughs> I was positive about uh, two weeks ago, and I remain positive Good. today that I think uh, the technology-led that recovery uh, yeah. should be positive to us here yes. in Hong Kong. What about artificial intelligence? Is that something here that you know we're we're good at? We have, do have some companies, don't we, that are that yeah. are leaders in the field, mm -hmm. and that's obviously been a big theme. It is a big theme, but uh, I am also a little bit uh, nervous about that because I don't know, you know, if the AI uh, is generating the video uh, talking to me as a real person or not a real person. But I, I would be, you know, happy to go back to the more fundamental healthcare and biotech sector that are really generating, I think, a true value add to our society. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even more so than AI, because I do wonder, you know, obviously there's been a lot of mm. interest in AI, a lot of companies are investing mm -hmm. in it, but is it generating revenues for these companies or is that still a long way, still a long way off? I haven't seen enough uh, subs yeah. sustainable revenues yeah, in yeah, that yeah, space. Yeah. I think there's a lot of you know, yeah. new technologies in that space. But again, it's one of those uh, things that uh, people have talked a lot about, but I haven't seen the real cash coming in. Yes.
Well, look, a fascinating discussion this morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for both coming in. You heard there Christopher Lee, who's senior partner at Farron Augustine and Alexandra Investments, and then our regular Wednesday morning correspondent, capital preservation specialist at Financial Shield, Enzio von File. <laughs> I'm joined now by Dickie Wong, who is Head of Research at Kingston Securities here in Hong Kong. Morning, Dickie. Good morning, Peter. Now that we've had a lot of data, haven't we, this week out of China, uh, the PMI surveys, both the official um, and the Kaishin surveys, not looking good, is it? It seems to suggest that now um, the private sector has also sunk into contraction, along with the uh, the state-owned sector on the manufacturing side, and also the services sector, which had been doing pretty well and holding up, also starting to slow quite rapidly as well. What are your thoughts on where we are with the, uh, the economic uh, situation in China. Okay, first of all, in terms of the um, academic data, no matter the official one or the Caixin S&P one, uh, basically when we talked about uh, PMI, uh, even retail sales uh, or fixed uh, investment um, in mainland China, especially um, unemployment rates uh, skyrocket high for teenagers. Uh, actually, I, I don't feel comfortable at all. But uh, obviously, um, Chinese government, they're aware of this situation, especially for like um, most of the Chinese officials, including Xi Jinping, uh, when they speak about their economy, um, they are concerning about the situation right now. So therefore, um, after years of like regulatory pressure, uh, no matter to uh, the real estate market or to those internet-related companies, they're starting um, to to think about the box, and they think they need to do something to help the economy, uh, because as we all know, the private sector contribute a lot, uh, especially for teenagers' uh, employment. So therefore, um, you can see um, easing pressure uh, from regulatory pressure everywhere, uh, not only, uh, as I've just mentioned, the internet-related sectors, but also like property sectors as well. So the market sentiment um, improved quite dramatically uh, from last week uh, after Xi Jinping's speech. Uh, but obviously, after this recent home run, I can, I can tell, um, actually, the stock market, especially Hong Kong, index rebound quite a lot. Uh, even from uh, last week, to, uh, last Tuesday, low, uh, f- uh, obviously more than a thousand points, probably already reflected that uh, this kind of like um, um, the sentiment has been improving and also expected that more stimulus uh, will, will actually uh, not only from uh, the private sector, but everywhere else, including the property sector as well. Uh, but obviously, the economic data will not look good um, in terms of um, especially PMI uh, and also fixed uh, investment. Uh, Do you think these measures... Uh, look good. And, uh, 
do you think, Dickie, the measures that the government has announced, because we've had these many points plans now, haven't we? I think a 31-point plan, uh, then an 11-point plan from the Commerce Ministry, all designed to try and boost in particular consumption. But they do tend to f- um, focus on uh, the supply side and, and increasing supply, whereas really the problem is confidence, isn't it? The consumer just doesn't want to spend at the moment because they're worried about their jobs, they're worried about their price of their house they're worried about uh, the state of the economy overall it, it seems to be a confidence issue and these these measures do they really address that how do you get the consumer to go out and spend again well i think um we need some time wait and see because like um even china is ready to set up uh, a lot of like efforts uh, to stimulate not only um, the private sector but also as just mentioned um, the property sector as well uh, but uh, I, I don't really think that um, the, the Chinese people they're now all very confident and they can put all the money into the property sector uh, property market and uh, go buy a, a new flat I don't think so and mm-hmm. uh, probably need some time but um, there's what there is one good thing uh, too, because the, the interest rate environment uh, still uh, actually manageable. Unlike uh, the situation in in Europe or in US, uh, interest rates sit at a very high level. Um, because the interest rate remain like stable in mainland China, so when they do some like stimulus, uh, it may help. But obviously, you you, you want to show up uh, the confidence of the people, especially uh, for the job uh, security. It's not something easy and, and, and will not be done overnight. It definitely takes some time. Do you think foreign investors have seen enough to, to go back into the market? Because they've been talking about stimulus. All they've been saying really the last few weeks is we want to see stimulus. But they're not really getting the sort of stimulus that they wanted or were expecting, are they? There's not a big bazooka here. There's not a cut of interest rates or the triple R requirement. There's not the handing out of consumption vouchers. This is not really the type of stimulus they were imagining. So is it going to be enough to get them back into the market? Yeah, the the stimulus so far, um, I think, um, obviously, if we talk about um, individual sector, I think auto sector, it's a better play, uh, especially when we talk about the, uh, the sales figures, um, the, the number of their export. I think auto sector is okay, but definitely not the property sector, because we have to bear in mind, uh, even um, Chinese government wants to uh, roll out a lot of stimulus plan, uh, no matter um, how, how hard they want to do it. Uh, but the situation-wise, uh, we 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 need to pay more attention because most of the um, like the property developer um, they will continue um, try to raise fund as much as they can in the market. So when one like uh, a single company they announce a a a, a, a new share. Um, placement obviously would drag down the share price quite significantly, like a uh, few of them uh, yesterday. Uh, so therefore, def- definitely don't don't bet your money into the the Chinese property uh, sector yet. These companies are struggling to raise money, aren't they? Even the biggest one, like Country Gardens, suddenly cancelled its $300 million share placing. If the biggest one in China is, is now struggling to raise funds, what does this mean for the others? 
Obviously, you you don't know the story behind. We don't know why they cancel the placement. But obviously, uh, not that overwhelming and not that welcome. And they have to give a very step discount in order to to complete a, a, a placement like this for the Chinese property sector. Uh, therefore, um, not not a, a good bet. Even the Chinese government plan to do a lot of stimulus for the property sector. Uh, but as I just just mentioned, um, consumer sector, uh, auto sector may be a, a better or safer play. I mean, the the auto sector it was boosted, wasn't it, by that tie up between Xpeng and Volkswagen, which gave quite a a big boost to the the share price. I mean, these uh, Chinese automakers um, they're really dominating the world now, aren't they? They are becoming the major manufacturers of electric vehicles. Well, um, yeah, you can say so because the the Chinese automaker now is uh, quite similar to those Japanese uh, automaker back into the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, they're selling more and more EV cars, that's no question asked. And some of the, the Chinese brand, uh, they're actually they're, they're able to deliver, uh, not only the concept, but really delivering. Uh, so therefore, like you just mentioned, like uh, Xiaopang and, uh, and Volkswagen uh, Alliance uh, can tell this big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously now, um, the, the, generally speaking, the Chinese EV stocks, they're now trading at uh, not, not, not as cheap as like two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, their, valuate, uh, their valuation are getting high. So even the auto sector, not every single stock uh, is actually attractive now. Um, BYD, it's still my uh, top pick uh, compared to the others because they're delivering uh, more cars than simple math. Yeah. Mm, I mean, these EV makers, although they're selling a lot of cars, they're not profitable. That's the problem, isn't it? And there's a, exactly. a vicious yeah, price but, but war going BYD on. is profitable, yeah. Yeah. Relatively, yeah. And what about the financials? We had the HSBC results yesterday, more than doubled its pre-tax profits in the first half of the year. I suppose this is the benefit of rising interest rates for for the big banks, isn't it? They make more margin on their spread between uh, what they pay to borrow and what uh, what they lend at. I think HSBC delivered a very strong uh, first half performance and um, will continue to grow. And also the share buyback program and uh, the 50% um, dividend payout ratio uh, also gives investors a very clear picture uh, they're coming back now. <laughs> mm. the, the, the big elephants, yeah, HSBC. And uh, I think the outlook uh, for their interest uh, margin uh, is, is actually improving and will continue to improve. And uh, moreover, two-thirds of their revenue come from the, the greater China or the Asia region. And, and after they sold uh, the, the Canadian and uh, also French retail business, yeah, uh, I, I think they're, they're more focusing in, in Asia and also uh, great China market, uh, which is good uh, because the growth is here. Uh, therefore, um, um, I think HSBC is, uh, is one of my top pick amongst all the 
the financial stocks in mm. uh, in Hong Kong. So do these results validate Noel Quinn's universal banking model that he was forced to defend, wasn't he, in the, in the face of these attacks from Ping An Insurance and others to try and break up the bank and get it to, <laughs> to separate out? That was nonsense, out? in my opinion, sorry. <laughs> it was nonsense. So that was nonsense, in have, my opinion. Have they gone away now? Is is that attempt over now? Because we obviously we had a fairly decisive shareholder vote. They couldn't get any other institutional investor to back them. And now since these results as well, which tend to validate... I don't think so. I don't think so. In my opinion, it's totally nonsense. Because uh, I, I don't think that breakup will, will help uh, the, the stock. Uh, even um, it will give uh, some kind of pressure because... Uh, they will definitely become a two small companies, and obviously, Hang Seng Index, um, the components, uh, obviously, will will be affected. I, I don't think so. In my opinion, mm. it's totally nonsense. So has Ping An gone away now? They've been very quiet, haven't they? Since uh, since that shareholder exactly, vote, exactly. <laughs> they're they're becoming a more passive investor now, and. Um, they call the uh, the strategic uh, restructuring mm-hmm. uh, for HSBC. I think they're now proven they're do, doing a good thing for the the company. Even they recently acquired the uh, the SVB uh, UK, then re- rename the the bank as the HSBC Innovation Banking. I think um, yeah, it's, it was not a a bad moment for for this price. So they bought Just it for, for one pound, wasn't it? They bought it for exactly one pound. They uh, they they can do do something good. Mm. Tell me about the market overall. I mean, it was a pretty awful first six months of the year, wasn't it, for Hong Kong stocks? But there's signs that things are turning around. In in July, uh, the Hang Seng was up over six percent, although it's still only up about one and a half percent for the year so far. But nevertheless, are you seeing signs that maybe the market has bottomed and things are turning around now, or or is it too early to say that? I think the market has already bottomed, and uh, in my personal opinion, I believe there is a rebound. Uh, will will have uh, actually probably in May. Uh, I call it a month ago, uh, but after this rebound, um, actually the, the recent um, strong rebounds from last week, uh, Hang Seng Index now it's uh, actually trading at uh, not as low as valuation compared to like a, a half year ago. But I think Hang Seng Index will manage to stabilize at this current level at around 2,000 points. But um, short, uh, in, in a very short-term perspective, I don't really see so much upside. I think Hang Seng Index still needs some time to stabilize at this, at this current level. And uh, uh, we have to also bear in mind uh, the recent uh, rebound of the renminbi also contribute a lot uh, to this um, rebound, I mean, the stock, Hong Kong stock market. But uh, obviously, if the, the stock market outside, everywhere else, including U.S., uh, pull back a little bit, maybe also affect the, the Hong Kong market sentiment as well. For like instance, like Fitch, uh, I mean, uh, 
cut uh, U.S. rating. This is something bad in my opinion. Okay. And uh, obviously, I I also don't think that uh, the renminbi will continue to rebound. So uh, it's time to pull back a little bit for the Hong Kong stock market. So you say that the Hong Kong market is correlated to the renminbi. Is that because a lot of local companies here make money on the mainland? So when the renminbi is stronger, it translates into higher profits. And likewise, when the renminbi is weak, it translates into lower uh, US dollar profits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the key reasons. And uh, actually, we can see a very clear tendency when the renminbi rebound. Um, obviously, those um, banking sector and also property sector um, stocks will rebound. This is a very clear uh, correlation. Mm. Uh, but obviously, I don't think um, the renminbi will continue to rebound uh, at this current level, even already bottom um, uh, uh, two, two months ago. Mm, well, the renminbi weakened quite a lot overnight. It's back in around 7.18 in offshore markets. So presumably that's not good news for Hong Kong stocks. Today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, Dickie, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for Thank coming you. onto the show this morning. Thank uh, you, Peter. That's Dickie Wong. Day. Thank you, you too. That's Dickie Wong, who is Head of Research at Kingston Securities. You've been listening to Money Talk. If you want more information on any of the stories we've discussed today, please take a look at my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Tomorrow on the show, I'll be joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategy at KB Securities Seoul. Please join me then. Money Talk.